Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to heaven. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast-type situation through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Cohen, and if you listen to this podcast at home, you're a total trouser. And knocking on your door to say good evening and stay for a couple of months, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 19th of October 1995. Mortal Kombat 3 tops the console charts. Simply Red's Fairground is still top of the pops. And yes, you guessed it, Apollo 13 is top of the UK box office. But for just one more week until something else gets over here. Tap You see what I did there? Uh, I'm very much looking forward to next week, though, because it's our first time that we've actually had a video game movie at the top of the UK box office. Not only that, it's there for two weeks. And it's still a pretty good movie. I might try and re-watch it. In the lead-up to next week's episode, I might try and re-watch it. Do you know what? I, I've actually rewatched it within the past year, but I will rewatch it again. The entire thing holds up really, really well, apart from Reptile. <laughs> yeah, some of, the, some of that early CG isn't... Yeah, it hasn't held up quite as well as it looked in 1995. No, in 1995 it looked shit as well. <laughs> yeah. It was like subpar water from um, the abyss. But I still think the Goro animatronic, whilst I know a deeply problematic piece of equipment, looks pretty damn good. Yeah, we'll talk about the Goro animatronics. I'm, I'm, what I've decided I'm going to do is I'm going to read some excerpts from my book. I wrote a book about this once. Um, and can we'll you have buy an ex- that book? You can do, actually, yeah. It'd be nice if someone did. Um, and we'll- oh, you <laughs> can't say that, given the fact that yeah, no. we have seen at least three copies of it on the Under Consultation Discord within the past week. And 
I made it into an emoji, Luke. You did, yeah. In, in fairness, this podcast has actually helped shift some of the uh, the sales of that book, but those checks for like minus amounts are getting smaller with each one. Uh, so thank you for those who have bought it. But yeah, I'm going to read some excerpts from that uh, over sort of the next couple of weeks. So I've got uh, an excerpt later on to read when we get to our feature about the Model Combat movie. But until we get to that point, uh, in the TV world on the 16th of October, 1995, after 25 years as Coronation Street landlady, Bet Lynch, Julie Goodyear, makes her final regular appearance on the soap. On your own then, love. On my own. A quid says it's the Greek islands, Spain, Tenerife. You'll be a poor man if you start that game. Somewhere where there's sun. Single women, they always go where there's sunshine. Do they find it? Ah, well, can't answer that one, love. Oh, they do, you know. They all find it sooner or later. She briefly returned to the show in 2002 and 2003 and starred in a spin-off series, Coronation Street After Hours in 1999. Man, that sounds grown up. It <laughs> doesn't it just, yeah. Do you remember when Hollyoaks did it as well? Where it's like, oh, it's going to get a bit sexy this time now. You might see Gemma Atkinson in a bra. Now, they did a number of different things with those late Hollyoaks specials, including, uh, was it former guest on Games Master, although future guest on Games Master, because it was Series 8 Episode 2, uh, Warren Brown. Uh, he was in Hollyoaks, and he played a right wrong'un who did some horrible things that could only be shown in those late Hollyoaks special. But it's funny you mentioned Coronation Street, particularly the idea of kind of like an after-hours Coronation Street, because I was recently working at a, uh, a wrestling show where a wrestler made their debut with a, a new name, and the name was Rita Slayworth. Okay. It was, kind of, it was a Yorkshire kind of 50s, no-nonsense housewife type character. A lot of fun. Uh, came to the ring with a tray full of biscuits and everything. A lot nice. of fun. But it did lead to a discussion backstage about soap opera porn names. So you might want to get the swear jar ready. Mm-hmm. Because we came up uh, with Vera Fuckworth, mm-hmm. Twat Butcher, <laughs> yeah. and Thought Cotton. <laughs> Those are all very good. Oh, Arthur Growler. That was another one. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Thought Cotton is a distinctly disturbing mental image. Have we got anything in the magazine before we jump into the episode? Well, we may briefly come back to this magazine in the future because it does have some reviews, but this is officially our last week with this magazine. So I thought, let's take a trip to the letters page. We've always enjoyed going towards the letters page and seeing what the voice of the gaming community was like at the time. Oh, yeah. Spoilers, it's mostly the same as what it is now. Spicy takes that are very poorly researched, essentially. So this one is called Speed King. Dear Games Master, I feel that the 3DO is getting a bit of a hard time these days. I've had my 3DO since December, and I've got a collection of some of the greatest games ever. Wing Commander 3, Need for Speed, Road Rash, and Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo. But I feel that the 3DO is getting overshadowed by the Saturn, PlayStation, and Ultra 64. I'm sorry, but I have to say the Saturn is complete and utter shit. 
I mean, in all fairness, the feature we get on the Saturn in a little bit almost says the same thing. Sega have just done what the 3DO company did ages ago. I mean, the other day I played Daytona USA and it was terrible. It was quite fast, but with only three basic tracks, a terrible control method and crap graphics, it isn't a patch on need for speed. Mm. Different, different graphical styles, I'd say. Yeah, exactly. I think that would be like comparing it to Road Rash in a way. Like it's two different things, really. It's like comparing Tekken to Street Fighter. Yeah, exactly. Don't get me wrong. I fell in love with Yusukaze's excellent Daytona arcade game, but when I played the Saturn version, it was enough to put me off Sega for life. Bullshit. I I guarantee you he has played some Sega stuff in his time. The PlayStation looks impressive with titles like Ridge Racer and Demolition Derby. I feel that the PlayStation is the only real threat to the 3DO and I still feel that the graphically impressive but limited playability-wise beat-em-up Tekken was greatly overrated and overhyped. Now, there isn't a whole lot of untruth in that. Because you and I have said, while Tekken is great, it is vastly improved by its sequel. Yeah, but that's saying that knowing what's coming down the line. I, I think that he is right. If, you, if he was to say Virtual Fighter, I think I would agree. The first Tekken is still good, though. I mean, personally for me, I would take Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo over it. But that is not to say that the first Tekken is a bad game. I mean, it's also kind of because gaming-wise, you're quite an old fart. Mm-hmm, very much so. I mean, more than me. And I am older. <laughs> you should. You see me yelling at the clouds the other day with that Street Fighter Six announcements. Oh, you you weren't a, you weren't a fan of Granite Daddy Ryu. I mean, it's the graphics. I've not got a problem with. It's that logo. Like, fucking hell! At least try Capcom. Well, they did. They went to the Adobe Stock Library and they paid eighty dollars, and that's how they got it. Yeah, I did. I said on Twitter that they look. It looks like they went to www.shops.com's design team and said, "Give me the plainest font you have. No, plainer than that one, please. Give me the one you normally reserve for hot indie stars that are going to NXT. Thanks." <laughs> It just reminded me of it. You know, um, uh, goodness gracious me, one of my favourite sketches is when they uh, they go out for an English. What's the blandest thing on the menu? <laughs> Scampi is particularly bland. I love that. <laughs> that is what the Street Fighter 6 logo is. Yes, Capcom, where graphic design is their passion. <laughs> but continuing, because, oh, the spiciness of this take is not yet done. Crikey. The Ultra 64 isn't even out yet. So it's shit. <laughs> I've already decided. Basically. So I don't think that Nintendo's so-called Super Console is any threat, and even if it does come out, eh, the M2 will blow it away. <laughs> it's good to have hopes and dreams. PCs are daft with price tags of £1,200. <laughs> With price tags of £1,200 for a Pentium that will be out of date in six months. I mean, that has not changed. That has not changed. I have three little words for Jag owners. Get a life. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Richard Bonnet, Lincolnshire. That is a YouTube comment printed in a magazine. P.S. Mortal Kombat 3 wasn't the gaming revolution I expected. Not as good as Mortal Kombat 2. Now, we know we've heard from some people that have had letters published in Games Master magazine. We've been added by them on Twitter and so on and so forth. Richard Bonnet, if you're out there, get in touch. Let us know how these opinions have held up over the years. 
I would be so curious to see what 27 years has done to his gaming opinions. But Games Master does have a response, Luke. Hmm. A lot of people might disagree with your last point about Mortal Kombat 3, Richard, but what you say about the 3DO is hard to argue with. New titles like Space Hulk and The D, that's Vampire Hunter D, not a penis. Great game, that. Oh, great game. Gets reviewed in this magazine, actually. Proves that this machine is getting some of the best software around. As for Daytona USA, it is deeply disappointing, but it's far too early to judge the Saturn as a game system, especially on the strength of what are just a handful of launch releases. The reason the Saturn is overshadowing the 3DO is that in its first week, more people bought Saturns than bought 3DOs in their first year. Harsh but true, the Panasonic machine dropping to 299 and the Gold Star console arriving at the same price should boost sales, but at the moment, the 3DO just doesn't have the marketing power to compete with the two hardware giants. That was was always the 3DO's problem really, wasn't it? It was getting eyeballs onto the product. It's the problem of it being released as a kind of um, standard. I think it's a great idea, but do Panasonic know how to market a video game system? Yeah. I no. think yeah, it was like it was such a good idea on paper. And I and you know, credit to Dominic Diamond. Sorry, uh, the other guy that wrote that letter, um, which I do think it probably was Dominic Diamond under a pseudonym. Um it was, you know, I think that there was some really good stuff to be said about the 3DO. It's just when you don't have enough people buying it, it's always going to be, you know, like he he claims there it's, you know, going to be second best maybe behind the PlayStation, but it ended up being a distant fourth. Might even be a distant fifth behind the Jaguar. Like, I wonder if like more people had the Jaguar than they did the 3DO. No, I think the 3DO did outsell the Jaguar. Yeah, I mean, unless you're including all the dental surgeries that still have the Jaguars or at least the shells in them nowadays. Yeah, I suppose you're right. Like, I mean, the only reason I said that is because, like, uh, anecdotally speaking, I didn't hear a dicky bird about the 3DO when I was on the playgrounds in at, at this period of time. But I did hear talk of the Jaguar. That's because the Jaguar was going on clearance. It was like, what do you want for Christmas, Timmy? Oh, I'd like a PlayStation. Here's a Jaguar. It was cheap in Rumbelows. It was only 50 quid, and I've got five games with it. They're all shit. (laughs) But one of them is AVP, and it's not half bad. But you've got to play Cybermorph first. Yeah, it is the Simpsons sketch of, like, the Frogut is also cursed. (laughs) But it's interesting because... The, a lot of the game titles he lists, like going, oh, look at all these great games. Wing Commander 3, PC port. Also on the PlayStation. Yeah. Need for Speed, also on the PlayStation, not a platform exclusive. Road Rash, again, not a platform exclusive. That version of it is like, that's the 3D version, but it's also like that version of it is on the Mega Drive with those style of graphics, just not quite as good. But Need for Speed as well was like also going over to the PC and I think Road Rash did as well. So It, it did, it was, yeah. It didn't have exclusives. I still maintain if it had had Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo a year earlier, that would have sold machines. Yeah, it would have been literally a game changer and it would have got people involved and invested. And also it would have got money invested. Look how well having Street Fighter 2 did for the SNES. When the SNES first came out, being like a platform exclusive for it, it would have been massive if the 3D... Because that is a superb port as well, if you'll pardon the pun. It's... I know I have gone on a lot about the 3DO, but it just, it still strikes me as one of gaming's great lost opportunities. My opinions on the 3DO have massively changed by doing this podcast, which is, you know, one of the great things about it, other than just getting to hang out with you every single week. Um, but Thanks, it mate. is, yeah, you're welcome. Um, 
yeah, it is like a, a great what if, uh, a great unsung hero of the 90s gaming landscape. It's about this time of year when Mr. Winter knocks on your door and says, good evening, I'm here to stay for a couple of months. Get the kettle on, love. But on tonight's show, me and the angels are going to warm the nation's cockles as we dip our toes into the murky world of interpersonal relationships. What is your favourite season? I'm only asking that because obviously Dom's intro here is about how winter is here knocking on the door. Like, are you a winter guy or are you more of a summer one? Ah, uh, I, I like, you know, those times when summer bleeds into autumn. Mm-hmm. So you've still got the warmth of summer, maybe a slight chill in the evening. There's still some green on the trees, but just it's not the abrasive heat of summer. Yeah. I love those because I've got a lot of very happy memories of those, of like getting home from school dropping my school bags, of course I've done my homework, nipping out because there's still enough light to go fishing for a couple of hours or go for a bike ride, but it's not kind of that sweltering heat of the summer. So yeah, I'm a big fan of that. But also I do like summer. I, I'm, you know, I like I like spring into summer. It, winter is difficult. I think I enjoyed winter a lot more when I was younger, but I'm older now and I hurt. And winter <laughs> yeah. makes me hurt. I do like winter. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of summer as well because i love a, a summer barbecue but i really like the the coziness you get from winter getting all wrapped up indoors and all that sort of stuff and you know they getting dark early there's something about it and also it means christmas and i love christmas autumn is my season though like that's when i got married it's when my kid was born like we are an autumnal family the owens and technically it's when under consultation started at least recording that's true you were still you're technically right autumn. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Speaking of when we started, uh, just want to highlight that this is the last episode that will be recorded in the space that has been my kind of recording studio since lockdown began, which now accounts for almost all of series two, three, four, and you know all those bonus episodes. Uh, currently, all I've got in this room, from a recording point of view, is the desk, the microphone, and I'm actually using my laptop, which normally I don't do. But as soon as we're done recording this, this will all be broken down and moved across to its new home. So kind of marking the end of an era. And it's quite nice as well, because I'm recording this in the studio where I work, which is where we recorded our first batch of episodes. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm still hopeful that we will get to start recording at least some stuff in person again. Maybe, maybe that's how we do like the, U, the under consultation extras and stuff yeah yeah yeah. we still got plans for it recording wise it's actually better remotely because it means that we don't have to worry about mic bleed through but the editing is also a lot heavier because we do talk over each other more because internet latency you will tell if we don't get all of this episode recorded in one session because there probably will be a noticeable change in audio quality when we have to pick this up in a couple of days time but anyway let's go crash some cars what are we playing games master This challenge is perfect for the more lily-livered. Ignore the fact that it's on the awesome destruction derby. It's all about running away. A host of cars will be attempting to crash in on our young drivers, whose task it is to keep out of trouble and keep their car on the road for as long as possible. Damage is indicated by lights on the diagram of the player's car in the bottom right of the screen. A black light indicating that if you take one more hit in that area, it's curtains. Now, last week, Dave and Rick were 
I mean, it got 80%, but it, they were sort of cacking on this game a little bit last week. Dave talked about like, oh, it's not, it's too realistic. Oh, I wanted to have weapons. Where's my fantasy? And Rick being like, yeah, I don't think I'm a great, great fan of it either. Cut to Games Master here. This is an awesome game and we've got a great challenge all about it. I do love that Games Master will shit on a game and then still go, but here's a challenge on the game. I wish they'd done it a few seasons earlier with like, I don't know, Clay Fighter. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they did a review of it being like, actually, this is a really, really poor. Now watch the Gladiators play it for three weeks. Yeah. And we'll be there going like, oh, this game's amazing. Greatest graphics you've ever seen in your life. Ooh, Way of the Warrior. But anyway, yeah, I mean, this is quite a cool challenge because this is the best bit of Destruction Derby, which is just the Destruction Derby bits. Like, this is really, really fun. It's a bit like... um. A bit like Burnout, my favourite parts of Burnout weren't just... I mean, the races were obviously really, really great. But when you had to try and do the big crashes and try and rack up as many points as possible with the crashes and stuff, that was the bit that me and my friends used to really enjoy. And when it came to Destruction Derby, this is the bit that we also used to really enjoy. This mode of the game, it's like the tail end of a game of British Bulldogs, where the majority of the people have been caught and there's just like one or maybe two people trying to get across the playground. Because you are the target in this mode and every other car in that arena wants your kind of pixelated polygonal blood. And it it is my favourite mode. And I think it was the mode that was on the demo disc as well, was this mm-hmm. kind of survival of the fittest crash mode. And it is the one that I kind of miss the most because there was some real joy to be had in just literally playing dodgems. That's exactly it, right? You know, just like taking it in turns, see who can last the longest. That's actually a little bit like this challenge, really. I wonder if that's how I played it so much than if it was on one of the demo discs. Entirely possible, because I I think I said previously that I had Destruction Derby, and I'm trying to remember if I actually did or if I had Destruction Derby 2. But I know I played a lot of Destruction Derby, so I either borrowed it from a friend or demo disc. That's the same thing. I'm actually struggling to recall there whether it was an actual copy. Because as I've said previously, I don't get my PlayStation until a few years later. I don't get my PlayStation until Games Master ends as a series. But my friend did have one almost immediately. So I did play a lot. Of, I can't remember if we played this or we just played a demo disc. Either way, I am a big fan of this mode. And as much as they dogged on it a little bit last week in the reviews, I'm glad to see it here as a challenge. Absolutely. It, it's It's a fun game to see. It was one of the kind of linchpin games of those launch titles by being an original title, not an arcade port. There weren't many original games actually in the lineups for either the PlayStation or the Saturn. Uh, This, Wipeout, and uh, I don't know, Ballerina Toshinden? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, but yeah, until Tomb Raider comes out. Yeah, but. We've got it here, and despite Dave Perry not liking it because it doesn't have missiles, it's a game that looks like a lot of fun. Exactly, yeah. And Games Master tells us here that you've got to look out for the lights on your car because they will sort of diminish from green to yellow to red. And uh, if a black light says if you take one more hit, it's curtains for you. But if you have a black light in your bedroom, that means you are a dirty boy. The damage system is a curious one because it's still a system we see a lot today, but not with racing games, with wrestling games. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. It's like it starts with green, it goes down to red, and then when it is black, it's like you've literally got a dead arm. And I think it's a really nice system as well. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan of it. I don't like overly intrusive user interfaces, but this kind of damage system, it's a nice little reference point. And remember, kids, if you even think about trying that at home with your mum and dad's car, you are a total trouser. 
unlike our first two contestants today, please welcome Roxanne Kala and Ryan Brent. Yeah. Welcome, Roxanne. Hello. Welcome, Ryan. Thanks. Okay, now, Roxanne, you were asked if you could set the Games Master anywhere, where would you set it? And you said Barbados. Why Barbados? Because it'd be really hot and all the celebrities would want to come on it because it'd be really hot and they'd get free holiday. But all the celebrities want to come on the show anyway. Do they? Last year we had Robocop. Did you? On the show. That's how much they want to come on. We get everybody. Uh, Ryan, now you had a bizarre experience at uh, Thorpe Park, that big amusement park, didn't you? What happened? Oh, yeah, when I was little, um, this Indian bloke, he came up to me and kissed me on the hand. For any particular reason? No, I, I don't know. I was just at Thorpe Park and he kissed me on the hand and right. I just ran off crying. And you probably had to queue two hours for him to do that. As well. Now, here is something I just did not expect from Series 5, based on the four episodes that we've had previous. Actually, and when you think back to Series 4 as well, we have two kids playing this game. When these two very small children approach Dominic Diamond for the pre-match interview, I was getting flashbacks to Series 1 through 3. I just thought, as the show was growing up and its audience was growing up as well, that we would not see kids. I mean, I know we had babies in episode one, but I wasn't expecting, like, you know, children of this age to be on the show. It's quite, you know, it's great to see, like, and I, I like the you know, broad spectrum, but I thought it would be more Games Crackers, Mark Towers, that sort of age. Yeah, I, I'm going to assume they were from um, Dom's Mum's Talent Agency Academy type thing, rather than just kids that mailed in. I'm going to go on that assumption because they are both very comfortable on the microphone. Yeah, this isn't series one. Um, yeah, I play games. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, I, I just, I, I didn't do it. Or, I, I did it. Like that, you know, that was the sort of the strength of the interviews we previously had. But these guys, you know, they've got actual banter here talking about like, hey, you know, we're looking for ideas for future series of Games Master. Where would you like to be set next? And the answer is Barbados, because it would be really hot and all the celebs would want to come on as they'd get a free holiday. Interesting. Hello, Series 7, by the way. I know, right? But I love the fact here, Dom goes, hang about, we had Robocop last series. Which you wouldn't have seen because you're too young. Yeah, well, unless, of course, you know, some dodgy uncle bought you the VHS tape. But I did have to stop writing notes at the point when he referenced Robocop because I spontaneously started crying. I couldn't tell you exactly why, but just tears <laughs> started to flow. I just love the fact that Dom is still hung up on how crap that Robocop thing is, that he's going to highlight that as the pinnacle of celebrity status of Series 4. Ryan, meanwhile, her opponent has a weird story about being kissed on the hand by an Indian bloke at Thorpe Park. This story is all sorts of weird. To the point where I, I'm just like, I, I don't know what, I, I literally don't know what <laughs> no, to say. I, I, I wrote down the notes, word for word. I've written, Ryan got kissed on the hands once by, quote, some Indian bloke at Thorpe Park. And I don't know what else I'm supposed to say here. Basically, yeah, I just quoted Dom saying... Well, you probably had to queue for two hours for that to happen, which I think is about the best joke that you can make out of this situation. Yeah, Dom's like, let's not focus on the potential paedophilia side of this, just focus on thought park cues. And then my notes have one word, woofed, 
followed by news. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why only last week, Jimmy Sega said, come to my house for an exclusive preview of three games that can save the ailing Saturn. I was at my mum's, so plucky scam Steve Pritchard went along to see if three arcade conversions will quite literally stem the flood of PlayStation purchasing punters. We all thought Sega Rally could possibly take a large hanky and wipe the smiles from PlayStation owners playing Wipeout. But what about Stevie Boy? What did he think of this super-fast racing game scrolling landscape-burning rubber fest? The playability and the graphics are still there, and it's just minus the cabinet. Next, he placed his eyes on the conversion of Virtua Cop. It comes with gun and the practice mode, where bad blokes with rancid armpits appear at random for extra playability. Usually shooting games, after you've completed them, you don't really want to play them again after that, but Virtua Cop is really hard. Finally, we got to sample the first playable version of hopeful Tekken toppler Virtua Fighter 2. It's only 60% complete, but Steve saw enough to believe it will be in the shops at Christmas, screaming, ho ho ho, buy me for a good time. I did think that the conversions of these games would be good from the arcade. However, I did not expect them to be perfect, which is what they seem to be. And with shops knocking 50 quid off the Saturn price, PlayStation faces may be slightly smacked. What a shift we have had. Do you remember back in Series 4, like midway through Series 4, when they just dropped a load of stuff that they had filmed because they were like, oh my God, we're going to go to this lad's house at 6am and watch him play the Saturn for a little bit. It's so cool. It's so exciting. We're going to film a bit in the Christmas special about going to an import market. Get yourself a Sega Saturn. You know, not 10, 15 episodes later, Dominic Diamond is calling it, quote, the ailing Sega Saturn. Yes, we got Steve Pritchard visiting Sega's HQ to get a lowdown on three arcade conversions that could potentially boost the Saturn's flagging sales figures. This oh. piece is a real look at Sega dance for us, dance monkey boy. It's so sad, isn't it? Like we mentioned a couple of weeks ago or last week or wherever it was, we finally got a Sega Saturn review. We've actually got a Sega Saturn challenge coming up later in this episode. But yeah, this feels really sad, like how quickly the hype for the Sega Saturn died now that the new shiny PlayStation is here instead. The, the Buzz Lightyear of consoles is here instead. But Luke, 50 quid has been slashed off the price, so it's now a slightly cheaper flop. Yeah, well, you know, maybe people will want to pick up Woody after a while and you know, put down Buzz Lightyear for a change. But one thing I do want to say is I really want a screening room like Sega's with the motorized doors that pull back to reveal the screen. It's so beautiful. Like I, you know, because of my job and stuff and, and actually the jobs that I've had over the years, I have been to lots of screening rooms at studios. So you go to like the Fox offices or you go to the Sony offices and you get to go into their screening rooms and stuff. And it is a lot like this. I was actually at the Sony offices very recently because I was shown the first 30 minutes of uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. And Bloody hell, that's a bit of a cock tease, wasn't it? I got to watch the first 30 minutes and then it just ended. It was supposed to be a full screening and then the day before they were like, actually, it's only going to be 30 minutes. It's like, oh, you teasing pricks. Well, I believe the reason is it wasn't ready. Yeah, well, that's the reason that we were given is it wasn't ready. Bullshit. I think they didn't want anything getting leaked out. But um, yeah, either way, like that was going into the proper Sony built screening rooms. And it was are not too dissimilar, actually, to the sort of Sega thing we're seeing here. But first up, once we get past the really fancy doors, Steve takes a look at Sega Rally and compares it to the arcade. It says, well, the gameplay and graphics are still there. All that's missing is the big cabinet, you know, which is much better when it comes to fitting it into a bedroom. 
Uh, next up is last week's challenge game, Virtua Cop. It also gets a big thumbs up. And lastly, we get a look at the first playable version of Virtua Fighter 2. So new, it's on a CDR with a handwritten label. Yeah, I mean, he says here that they could be out by Christmas. And it was in the States, but we didn't get it until January, which I'd imagine must have been like, if you're a Sega Saturn owner, a bit of a blow, really, because you'd almost think that Sega would want to push it out for the European market at Christmas to try and bolster those Christmas sales. But Steve thinks these conversions will be good. He wasn't expecting Arcade Perfect, which is what they appear to be. That plus 50 quid off the retail price. Luke, will Mr. PlayStation be smacked in the face? No. No. Yeah, no, absolutely not. I don't know why Steve was so surprised they were really good arcade conversions, because if anything the Sega Saturn has shown since it came out, it's done arcade conversions really well. Like, he sat here a year later and be like, I mean, these arcade conversions are very good. I'm surprised by that. Ryan Brent and Roxanne Carla are about to play Destruction Derby. Help me out is the family's favourite, Dave Perry. Dave, do you mind if I call you Ace for this challenge? No, not at all. Most people do. Okay, then, Ace, tell us, what's the biggest problem our contestants are going to face in this? Well, we've got it set on total destruction, which means that all 20 computer-controlled cars are going to head straight for our opponents, which means they might get jammed against the barriers. The way to get out of that is to remember you can use reverse gear as well as forwards, and as the front end of the car is the most vulnerable part, using reverse isn't a bad idea. OK, thanks very much, Dave. But, whew, we're back from news, the awkwardness of being kissed on the hand by an Indian man <laughs> and how far in the past. So we just go to the different sort of awkward. It's Dave Perry. <laughs> the family's favourite, Ace. <laughs> I do like Ace. Like that is a proper like Ace Rimmer style like mocking of Dave Perry. No one ever called you Ace. Maybe Ace Hole. <laughs> Especially because Dave is like, yeah, I mean most people do. No, they don't. He's trying to get in on the joke. He's trying to save face. Bless him, it ain't working. Well, that that we said this last week, I think, or a couple of weeks ago, when you know you could probably put in order when Dave was recording these segments in terms of like how quickly it takes him to get the the jokes. I wonder if this is one of the early ones because he has this same line in episode one or whatever it was where he said, yeah, most people call me that. And he just says it again here. So I wonder if this is again one of those early ones. And he hasn't quite cottoned onto it yet. However, much like Dave often does, his advice here isn't terrible, which is that reversing confuses cars also try and use other cars as a barrier to you speaking of which stick to those barriers don't be driving through the middle because you are opening yourself up from all angles to get absolutely smashed up yeah and also by driving in reverse you are basically using the back of the car as your front and the back of the car can withstand much more damage without actually causing the game to be over because your engine it's a you know it's a front engine car i also like the idea that it just bamboozles the other drivers being like i have no idea what they're doing now how do i how do i smash into them they're going backwards constantly chasing them around it's basically dave perry going yeah the ai is a bit wonked exactly Uh, Ryan is up first and he just gets battered from the outset it's just, you said earlier everyone is targeting in on you and boy how did they just go boom and just completely smash him up now see the first bit he did like when the light goes green and the start staying stock still immediately is smart because everyone starts piling towards you but a lot of them are coming from elsewhere in the circular arena. So they actually collide in the middle. And once that initial impact happens, that's when you start scooting around the edge. Unfortunately, he was a bit slow 
to do that. But staying stock still is smart because it means that everyone is following just literally straight line homing missile, which means they hit each other first. If you immediately steer off, it means that some cars are going to immediately steer off as well and you will get hit quicker in theory. And then he takes the very smart tactic of just getting to that rim and just driving round and round and round and round and round. Dave says, you know, like, oh, the cars will cotton on quickly to this, and they sort of do. It does last 53 seconds, which is longer than I was expecting. Yeah, I mean, he sticks to that ring better than salt to a margarita glass. It's just, he's right grinding around the edge. And it, it bought him time. He went in reverse, he followed the advice, he did that stall, not perfectly, but he did it at the beginning. I think, while I agree with Dave, it can be beaten. It's a respectable score, especially given that they wouldn't have had much time to practice on this game. Exactly, yeah. I just thought Dave was a bit harsh by calling it a competent time. Well, he is the game's animal, Luke. I suppose, yeah, he is ace. <laughs> I do just want to say, I love that they basically, previously we've had like the TV surrounded with like set dressing or a shroud or something. Here, they've just like, ah, paint it gold. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Spray paint it gold. There we go. And that's it. So we've got Roxanne up next, who does instantly start reversing and stuff, but she loses her steering quite early on and then drives through the middle of the field. And Dave talks about, like, oh, I'm not sure that's a wise idea. And I've written in my notes here, oh, I don't think that's a very good idea. And it becomes pretty tense as we get to the end of this, because she takes an absolute battering from all angles, loses her steering early on. And I was like, I don't think she is going to survive this whatsoever. But in the end, she gets that barrier of all the cars smashing into her. And then which means all the other cars just smash into the first round of cars. So she kind of gets this sort of car shield. Yeah, it's basically a metally meat shield around her, uh, protect the president kind of thing. And she's still taking damage with every impact because, of course, it's shunting into her, but it's deadening it. It's kind of yeah. like uh, it's kind of like almost like a, a padding around her. So, it, you know, again, it's a tactic and we don't know what her final survival time is. We just know she lasts longer than Ryan. They're just like, it, we've had it a few times in the past with the challenge, which is, nope, you lasted longer, challenge over, boom, we're done. I think which is absolutely fine. Like, we don't need to go much further than that. You've already won. Let's just crack on with things. I don't know. I would have liked to have seen how much more her tactic paid off. Yeah, I suppose in a way. Yeah, yeah. Because it wouldn't have been long. It would have maybe been an extra two, three, four, five seconds. And we should, I think, have time for that. This isn't series three. We have got time. To, I mean, we had literally spent eight minutes on a golf challenge, not but a few weeks ago. And we're about to play bloody Love Island in a while. So, Ryan, talk me through your 53 seconds then. Well, I started off good going around the outsides. Good tactic. Wasn't. Wasn't quite good enough in the end that all the cars started piling onto you, yeah? Smashing into my bonnet. I couldn't do anything. Was that more or less frightening than when that Indian bloke kissed your hand at Thought Park? More frightening than that. Even more frightening than yes. that. Well, I apologise for the experience. I hope it wasn't been too traumatic for you, Ryan. Roxanne, talk us through it. At one point, I thought you'd blown it. Yeah, so did I, because all the cars kept on crashing. But then there were so many of them surrounding me, they couldn't bump me no more. And then I just had that to, shield, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, I just had to last for another four seconds. And 
I did. And that was it. But Dom talks to Ryan about his run and he starts repeating something Dave Perry probably told him off camera. He forgets partway through and Dom helps him across the finish line. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he just sort of loses train of thought a little bit. And you see him looking off camera just like, line. So <laughs> <laughs> nodding up a placard that just says, Thought Park again. Yeah. <laughs> oh... But both Roxanne and Dominic thought that she'd biffed it. But as she points out, the metal of the cars acted as a shield for her. See, she remembered what Dave Perry told her. And she just needed to last four more seconds. And she did. Very smart. Very nice. Very Games Master Golden Joystick winner. Very series one to three. I mean, like it was almost like a nostalgic challenge in a way on a brand new game. And we get a moment as she gets the joystick, which I'm amazed we haven't had yet, which is the angels bring out the joystick, present her with the joystick, and she gets a peck on the cheek. But after the first peck, she turns her head and almost <laughs> kisses the other angel straight on the lips, which I'm just like, oh, that would have been a retake and a very awkward one as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least it didn't happen at Thought Park. <laughs> but Luke, some game shows have their reviews done by children. I said, take that bad influence. <laughs> But with Rick and Dave, Games Master has achieved the perfect medium, man-children. <laughs> That's what I threw in here. I was like, Dave, Dom takes a shot of bad influence by saying that their game's reviewed by children. They've got Rick and Dave instead. Oh. It, doesn't, it doesn't have missiles. I, don't want, I want more fantasy in my games. Yeah, no, we've got grown men reviewing our games. The World Wrestling Federation is living proof that unpopular kids at school never grow up. They simply put on tights and a mask and fight blokes in rings. This PlayStation version, though, looks to be the first of any good. The reason it's been doing so well is because it has huge digitized sprites and also because it uses an abundance of special moves usually associated with games like beat-em-up. It also features all the current superstars of World Wrestling Federation, but it's also got Doink the Clown, whose special move is to thwack your opponent quite mercilessly with a huge hammer that, he app that appears in his hand at certain points. So even if you don't like the World Wrestling Federation, you think it's all a bit fake, all a bit choreographed, you're probably going to find this game a whole lot more real and a whole lot more fun. But speaking of fantasy and potentially missiles, this first review, it's WrestleMania, the arcade game for the Sony PlayStation. And I have a confession, Luke, I think this game completely passed me by at the time. I think it passed me by as well. I mean, as I've said, like, I, I didn't get a PlayStation until much later. And also, I didn't, at this point in time in particular, have any friends that were wrestling fans. So my only wrestling game I had was Royal Rumble on the Mega Drive. That was basically my wrestling game until I got to the SmackDown games. Actually, no, sorry, until I got to Warzone on the PlayStation. So I had this, I got this huge missing part of uh, video games in terms of wrestling. But the arcade game is a game I have gone back to multiple, multiple times because it's not like some people really didn't like it at the time. And I can I can sort of see why, but I really applaud it trying to do something different with a wrestling game. And I think it's a great, great game. See, I'm... I'm probably one of those people because I think I saw this and I went, no, I've got my Street Fighters over here and I've got my Tekkens over here and I've got my Mortal Kombat's here and I've got my wrestling games here. I don't need my Street Fighters and my wrestlings to mix up. Yeah, I, I do understand that. And I think that's what a lot of people's... That and the fact that it's really over the top. You know, yeah. like, like this is not just digitized sprites in a Mortal Kombat style thing that's also a wrestling style thing. It is like weapons and, you know, The Undertaker hitting people with actual tombstones. Yeah, and, and Doink being Doink. 
and Razor exactly. Ramon's arms transforming into a giant knife. Bam Bam Bigelow, his like fist catch fire to match the flame tattoos and stuff like that. And don't get me wrong, looking back in hindsight, appreciate what they're doing. And I do like a goofy wrestling game. I, I mean, I love Ultimate Muscle on the GameCube. Great game, that. But that is based on a cartoon. Yeah, exactly. Not cartoonish characters from the real world, which is what this was. We are just kind of getting into the Raw era. I mean, you can tell that we're still larger than life characters because we've got Doink, we've got Bam Bam, we've got Razor Ramon, we've got The Undertaker and his original Deadman gimmick, uh, Yoko Zuna, we've got Lex Luger, you know, but they were all very big cartoony characters. We hadn't quite crossed over to the grittier, more realistic, Bucky O'Hare is, attitude era this was kind of the last gasp in many ways this is i would say that this is kind of the last big wrestling game that we'll get until warzone really and like i said earlier i appreciate the i I appreciate the creativity in this game and i really really appreciate actually the midway didn't just make another wrestling game because they easily could have done so they easily could have just made another wrestling game kind of like what ljn were doing with Royal Rumble and Super WrestleMania in it and things like that. WWF Super Nintendo, as Jim Duggan once called it. And that's to play some games, WWF Super Nintendo. I um, I actually really like and admire the gumption to do a game like this. It's so Midway, and it's why Midway at this point in time were probably the most interesting games development company in North America. See, it often gets compared a lot to Mortal Kombat but realistically I think this has actually got more in common with uh, NBA Jam in the mm. way that it arcadifies yes. um, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the gameplay style and also if it was Mortal Kombat it would only exist on two planes much like Mortal Kombat did kind of yeah, like backwards uh, yeah. and forwards and jumping up and down but no this does still move in the same multiple planes that wrestling games traditionally do much like NBA Jam still features the same gameplay that basketball games would but just speeds it up and adds special effects. Yeah, the reason why the Mortal Kombat comparisons keep coming up for WrestleMania the Arcade game is just because comparing it to Mortal Kombat became the standard for it got it's got digitized sprites in it. And we put it over many times on this show already, but you can still get Insert Coin, the documentary about Midway in the 90s. It's got a huge section on there about WrestleMania the Arcade game, including so much footage of them filming the wrestlers against the blue screen like if you're a fan of video games it's a brilliant documentary anyway because it talks about narc and model combat and all those great midway titles smash tv from the 90s but if you're a wrestling fan you get to see wrestlers like you probably haven't seen them before like this is real like behind the scenes footage of wrestlers at this point so it's fascinating if you're sort of into your wrestling history as well and and it's also i think the first game to feature kind of almost proper commentary yeah it would have been because like you know previous to this it would have been royal rumble and wwf super nintendo and the mega cd game and the mega cd game yeah but like i think this is the real first time that we are getting like commentary during this and actually it probably ends up being better than what you would get in wwf warzone mixing it up No, no. Uh, uh. Mm. They go out. 
Ask yeah. the ropes. Against the ropes. I mean, much more limited roster for a start, so it was much easier and also much more limited moveset. But the commentary was provided by the actual real, I think at that point, the real broadcasting team of Vince McMahon and Jerry the King Lawler. Yep. And also, title screen, you get Welcome to WrestleMania by the Fink, Howard Finkel. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Howard Finkel. Welcome to WrestleMania! It is, I would recommend people check it out. If you haven't played WrestleMania the arcade game before, I would check it out, even just as a curio. Uh, I, uh, I've got a lot of love for it. Do I think it is perfect? Absolutely not. Actually, I think the score of 92% is probably a bit too high that it gets here. But as a curio, I think it's a fascinating little piece of history. But as uh, Dominic says on this one, it's living proof that unpopular kids at school never grow up. They just put on masks and tights and fight blokes in rings. Hey, wrestling is, ba- wrestling is about to get very popular, Dominic Diamond. I was just going to say, Luke, given where both of our jobs go occasionally, I think we should not comment on that statement and just leave it where it lies. Yeah, a little bit. People know where we live. Finally, Vector Man on the Mega Drive features a bloke who's quite literally a load of balls. Not too much problem for Dave and Rick to talk about this one then. Vector Man is made up of a number of balls, which allow for very fluid animation and allow him to morph easily into a number of shapes, like pickaxes. He also has a very big gun, and that tells you what kind of game this is. This is a shoot 'em up. It's a very big shoot 'em up, but it's a very ordinary shoot 'em up. The graphics are impressive, but we have seen it before. Remember Ecstatica and Balls, the Mega Drive game that came out last year? But even though it is very polished, it's still a tired old genre, and it certainly doesn't breathe new life into the old Mega Drive. More a little puff. But blow me down, Ash. Back in episode one, Dom was like, well, it won't feature much of the Mega Drive, and I thought, yeah, I don't think we're going to hear much from the Mega Drive at all in this, but here we go. A Mega Drive review. Not that it gets particularly praised or anything, but hey, some representation for my Sega boy is still alive and well. But I mean, not only is this a game reviewed for the Mega Drive, it's not even the last game in this series that appears on the Mega Drive. This is Vector Man. And there is Vector Man 2, which comes out like about a year later, to the point where I have to wonder is, did they actually just go, while you're developing Vector Man, do you want to just keep going for a while? and put the bits and pieces together for a Vector Man 2, we'll just shovel out. We are in very much the dying days of the, the Mega Drive here, and the, you know, the last remnants of games being released on it. You know, it's this and like Alien Soldier and, and sort of games like that. The games that now become very expensive in the secondhand market because they were made in such short supply and not many people bought them at the time, which makes them very rare to, and, and difficult to get hold of. Vectorman and Vectorman 2 always appear in Sega collections as well. Like, you know, it's on the Mega Drive Mini. I think it's on but not all the Mega Drive classics. Um, and I think that's probably been where most people have actually played it. I don't think many people actually got hold of it at the time because most people were moving on from the Mega Drive. And it's it's all right. Like, it, it looks a bit nice, but I've never really rated vector man at all as a game no and its development cycle i mean it's published by sega but they had naff all to do with the development they literally entered into this right at the end of the development cycle and kind of went yeah we'll take it slap a sticker on it boom off we go out the door and 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 bizarrely in july 96 so next summer sega announced that it had entered into a deal with ideal entertainment to make a motion picture a television series and sell merchandise based off this first game so sega at this point in time were 
I mean, actually, I mean, at this point, we are here as of October 1995. The development of the Sonic the Hedgehog live action movie is really... In fact, actually, I might quickly double check my notes, but I think the first script is submitted around this point in time. And when I was interviewing people who worked at Sega, they were doing a lot of deals like this. Like this is where the deal for Echo the Dolphin doing the movie around. That must have been around this sort of time and into 1996. So yeah, it's kind of unsurprising. I don't think I knew about the Vector Man one, to be honest. But like Sega were doing a lot of deals at this point to try and get motion pictures made on their games and but weirdly like the sonic one was done to promote the saturn i don't the vector man they must have thought they would also do a vector man game on the sega saturn as well i mean they certainly wanted to do one for for echo but see echo being a movie i can see sonic obviously being a movie i can see um comic zone being a movie i can see really so so, yeah vector man yeah i mean also like you know I think with Sonic at the very least, there was popularity for Sonic. I, I can understand why Echo didn't get done and it didn't get very far in, in its development cycle either. And I know that Eden and Ziata is still trying to get an Echo movie off the ground, but I think that ship has sailed. I think that whale has left the, the port, if you will. It is concerning because you'd have thought Netflix at least would have gone, yeah, sure, we'll throw some money at that for an original animated feature. I am surprised that Sega haven't gone to Netflix or something like that with just sort of like, you know, because they did sort of do a bundle deal of like, we're selling off a load of our IPs um, to make motion pictures out of. Because I think like Streets of Rage and Golden Axe got picked up for them. I think like those now, it almost makes more sense to do it as opposed to sort of in 1995, 1996, when people sort of moved on from this. But I think now when nostalgia is at, you know, particularly for the 90s, is at an all time high. It makes sense to do a Streets of Rage movie now. I've I've got a Streets of Rage script in me. I have had it in my head for 20 years at this point. Uh, I just need to write it down on paper. And I'm sure if I pitched it to Netflix, they'll give me some money to make it because I think Netflix just greenlight any old bullshit that uh, gets pitched to them these days. Maybe that's what we need to do after we finish the run of Games Master. <laughs> we just write write a screenplay together and get some of that Netflix money. Mm-hmm. Sweet, sweet Netflix money. <laughs> but in the review itself... A bloke that's total balls, not too much of a stretch for Dave and Rick to cover this one. Dave does say the balls allow for fluid animation, some nifty character morphing. Also, you know, there's a big gun, you get to shoot things. Rick says we've seen these graphics before, ecstatica balls, etc. And it's very ordinary and tired. Not something that brings new life to the Mega Drive, more a little puff. Although by the end of January 96, it was a little puff that had sold in excess of 500,000 copies worldwide. I'm just going through my notes I had. Sorry, I was just going through my notes I had for the the Sonic movie. Uh, The pitch was written in May of 1995. Gotcha. So they were trying to launch Vector Man while still stoking the fires of a Sonic movie. Yeah, I think, did you say it was like 96 that they were doing the Vector Man pitches? Yeah. Yeah, I think say I think Sonic Wonders of the World was probably dead by that point. It died pretty quickly because of the DreamWorks launch. And how much longer would it take for us to get a Sonic movie, Luke? Well, you know, at least we got it in the end. And it was awesome. And I am so excited for that Sonic 2 movie. Because that Sonic 2 movie is the movie that you would have wanted in the 90s, right? It is Dr. Robotnik with Knuckles against Sonic and Tails. It's got the death egg in it. Like, it is literally made for 90s child Luke Owen, as opposed to, I don't know, nowadays child, whoever whoever they might be. This movie is basically made for us. I do worry they may have tried to cram too much video game stuff into one movie, because the first movie, it had it, 
But it was very much a let's establish stuff. And, you know, there were things in there that made sense to the movie and where it ended made sense. But I don't know, I just keep hearing things and like seeing the various characters and seeing like, oh, there's the death egg. And then hearing like quotes from, I think, the director going, oh, there's so many things when the game's hidden in here. Yeah, it's all like Chaos Emeralds and that sort of thing. Yeah, and it's a, it's a criticism that was leveled at Ghostbusters Afterlife about having too many Easter eggs in there. But I worry that there's a difference between it being a cool visual nod and we're trying to fill the story with video games elements. Yeah, it's almost a bit like Turtles Out of the Shadows. Because you know, they, they had that sort of Michael Bay produced Turtles movie, which I didn't actually think was very good at all. I thought it was, it was quite poor. And then when they did Turtles Out of the Shadows... They just went whole hog on, this is the 86 Turtles writ large on the big screen. We've got Bebop, we've got Rocksteady, we've got Super Shredder, we've got Krang and, and all this sort of stuff. And actually became probably a bit too much. And if anything, I think Out of the Shadows ends up being a worse movie. There were bits in it that worked. I actually thought the Bebop and Rocksteady worked pretty well. I kind of liked the way they did the Krang. Um, but when it comes to movies, it's still the original like yeah, it is. 19, yeah, you know the the Golden Harvest original live action movie. It is for me as well. Yeah, like I mean, you know, I think at the time people were probably like, "Where's Bebop? Where's Rocksteady? Where's the Technodrome?" But the film is actually probably better because it's just focused on the ground based aspect of these are four turtles. That is a lad called Shredder, and there is a rat called Splinter, and now they're going to do a fight. Yeah, let's just. Oh, hey, there's an accurate comic book movie. Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk it? I think it's really good. I when I <laughs> when I interviewed the producer of that movie um, for a piece that I was writing for a website once, I said to him, I was like, legit, this is in my top ten movies of all time. And he paused and just said, You need to watch more movies. <laughs> Harsh but fair. Harsh but fair. <laughs> but I was like, no, but for real. I think it's great. So we get into our celebrity challenge. Um, but before we actually find out what the challenge is, let's meet the people that will be playing it. To take part in this event, we needed a celebrity couple willing to come on and lay bare the most intimate details of their private life for the consumption of you, our 100 million viewers. Well, amazingly, we found that couple. Please welcome Emmerdale's golden pair, Biff and Linda, Stuart Wade and Tanisha Geronimo. <laughs> Welcome, Tanisha. Okay, first things first, my mother is an enormous Emmerdale fan. If you could just give a little wave to her and camera three to Paula. Hello, Paula. Hello, Paula. That's what I see. Top son, fantastic son there. <laughs> okay, right, Stuart, in the show, Biff, bit of a ladies' man to oh, begin with. Are you like that at all in real life? <clears throat> in the biblical sense. In whatever sense you like. <laughs> um, no, 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 that's why I enjoy playing him. Yeah, and uh, I'm with you and Tanisha in real life. Uh, how'd you go on? Have you ever had an emotional relationship? You know, I really hate him, in fact. I mean, the fact that I've had to come up here today is just an absolute nightmare, really, isn't it? Yeah. Oh! Oh, I've heard those words myself, Stuart, many, many times. <laughs> no, he's lovely. You're lovely, aren't you? Hmm. Okay, Tanisha Geronimo. Can I say, first of all, that is the most beautiful name Oh, well, thank I've you very much. I mean, I'm shamelessly flirting here, by the way, but I have to say that. And <laughs> now, I did read that you are a big fan of Kenny Rogers. Yes. Now, see, the thing is, some of our viewers may be a bit young to have heard of the Kenster. Could you describe exactly what it is he does and why he's so fantastic? He has got to be the best country and western singer ever have lived. And he's so gorgeous, you won't believe. He beats Take That Hands Down. Right. Tell you, really. And he is actually 107 years old, though. Mm. Uh, yes. That's what's so appealing, I think. <laughs> Thank you. 
Well, this is something new, contrived and entirely overcomplicated. A Mr and Mrs challenge where a fictional celebrity couple battle it out but also have to prove their compatibility? Yeah, because they're going to work together on an upcoming challenge, but they're going to have another challenge beforehand to see whether they can actually do the challenge that comes next. It's bobbins. It really is. I mean, don't get me wrong, (laughs) I enjoy this challenge, but the setup of it is kind of like, oh, it is. It's shoehorning things in and trying to make it make sense to the plot. It's it's entertaining enough, but the couple first stepping up to this challenge is Biff and Linda from Emmerdale, a.k.a. Stuart Wade and Tanisha Geronimo. Amazing name. I'm with Dom on that one. Isn't it just... It's a great name. And uh, Stuart, English actor, best known really for playing the role of Biff. I mean, it's weird having a character called Biff in a British show. I'm just like... Not someone going, hey, McFly! (laughs) But he was in Emmerdale from 94 to 99, made a brief return in 2005. Tanisha, British actress, born in Jersey, Portuguese heritage, best known for her role as Linda Fowler in Emmerdale between 94 and 97, when she was killed off. Oh, really now? Oh my God, I have got a story about that. Is it the helicopter one? No, no, it's how she got killed like how she came to be written out oh okay but we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit but just just to kind of get ahead of ourselves a bit these guys are presented as a fictional couple and they're asked you know does, does this mean that maybe your relationship's gonna go up a level and they're like no absolutely not which is interesting because in august 2000 they got married did they really and they had a kid together oh that's adorable they're separated now so it didn't last but Clearly, I mean, it happens a lot when you play a couple on screen, you know. Relationships can bloom, especially when you are perhaps going through harrowing scenarios, as often happened with these two. But no, they did end up together. Now, I didn't find a huge amount about either of these two other than their wiki pages, but I did find this article from The Mirror from 1998, where Tanisha is talking about leaving the show, being killed off in a car crash, and she breathed a sigh of relief. She genuinely considered the role to be a dream role, but it had become a nightmare and had actually started to damage her health because a combination of her character and Biff's kind of general characteristics means that all the storylines were full of doom and gloom and so depressing that she would literally go home after filming and just end up sat at home crying. Oh man, that's horrible to hear. In the 12 months leading up to her saying she wanted to leave, she lost two children, her on-screen brother died in a fire, and her on-screen husband Biff was facing the prospect of a life-threatening disease. All within 12 months, she had to act her way through that, and she just went, I've had enough. And, And she said, when she first started playing Linda, she was 16 years old, And she was excited for the role. And the character at first was full of fun. And then they paired her up with Biff. It's basically because the bosses saw the chemistry between the two actors and thought, let's transfer that to the screen. So they put them together. But instead of kind of letting us prove that some teen marriages can survive, they went, no, let's play up to the stereotypes of teen marriages. Let's have them fight all the time. Let's have them go through trauma all the time. Let's have them lose everything all the time it's the soap opera way she says i know that it doesn't make for good viewing to have everybody happy but the number of problems linda and biff faced were totally unrealistic linda lost two babies 
was harassed by Biff's boss and then refused to sleep with her husband because she was mourning her brother. But yeah, she turned from an upbeat teenager into someone who was morose, depressed and dull. And that transferred to the actress. She was fed up with looking miserable and crying all the time on set. And it became such a consistent behaviour she had to perform on set. It started to bleed through. She'd go home and she couldn't stop being miserable. And she ended up actually getting physical effects because of this. Boils, skin irritations, hair problems, all of this stuff. And some of these problems were then compounded by the producers asking her to dye her hair. Because she's a blonde, naturally they wanted to become a brunette and she said well why and the producer's response was no there's too many blondes on the show you're going to turn brunette it reached april of 97 and she just felt like she'd had enough she was on the edge of a nervous breakdown and she decided to be honest with the producer and hand in her notice straight away to give script writers enough time to write her out before her contract expired in december but her honesty backfired when the bosses decided to write her out two months early and she found out about this from other actors and she was done with September and not only did they write her out they killed her off interestingly when she met a writer some time after she'd left the writer went we didn't want to kill you off we wanted to leave the option for you to come back in the future but the big bosses said no kind of this is your punishment for for daring to to raise issues for daring to be seen as a troublemaker or for standing up for yourself really mm. and and I think the most telling one, because the, the producer apparently said, oh, no, killing you off was the writer's idea. It was all their idea. But on her last day of filming, Tanisha threw a farewell party at a restaurant near the soap studios. Many of the cast attended and the producer turned up to give a brief farewell speech. But even that was a slap in the face because he gave the same speech, the exact same speech, word for word, to Jane Cameron, who played the Tate's nanny at her leaving party two weeks later. Only our names were different. It was another way of showing how little we mattered. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's the same with movies, depending on the, the level of star that you are, and TV shows, you are just props. You are props that can also talk and hold yeah. other props. Um, you are just sort of bodies that are there to fill this. And, you know, In some ways, wrestling is, is very similar. I was going to mention wrestling if you hadn't. Yeah, and it, you are just there to be... You are bodies to fulfill the things that I need you to do. You are the toys that I am playing with. But whilst that was quite a dour story, I feel it was an important one because it is very much a snapshot in time of where we are, but also a snapshot in time of where we are is Dom playing the mother card and getting Tanisha and Stuart to wave to his mum, Paula. Top son work. It's so delightful. You absolutely love to see it. I, I genuinely do, because even when Don was doing the Twitch streams the other year, Paula was frequently to be found in the chat on Twitch, and I genuinely loved that. She was a wonderful presence there. Okay, then, right, while young people all over Britain kickstart that Kenny Rogers revival, we'll take a quick break. Ever thought I could do better than that? Could be a drama. <laughs> Maybe it's a documentary. <laughs> something in entertainment or even animation because if you're anywhere from 25 to 11 and have a bright idea you could see it on channel 4 so let rip with the Lloyds Bank channel 4 film challenge either pick up a leaflet write to PO Box 666 London E151DW or phone 03454 <laughs> 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 
has an orange peel when it is a crispy chew. I wonder what melts in the milk chocolate now. Is this the Red Sea for a man just seeing red? What an arresting time. All over Britain, homeowners have less up top than they should have. He's got less up top. Believe it or not, so has he. And he's had nothing worthwhile up top for years. He, on the other hand, has just topped up with new, easier-to-handle Super Wrap Pink. Because to meet today's energy efficiency standards, loft insulation needs to be around 200 millimetres thick. So, if you think you're insulated against losing heat and wasting money, think again. Think pink. Think Super Wrap Pink from Owens Corning. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're very keen to come here. And what are you wearing? We have this fantastic new... Uh, Pizza. What, in a pizza heart? No, really. It's called a stuffed crust. It's got this ring of cheese inside a thinner crust. Fantastic. Try eating your crust first. I've got a Ferrari. <laughs> Introducing the stuffed crust pizza from Pizza Hut. Ooh. Have you finished with that? Yes, if he's not careful. Stuffed crust. Well, It'll turn around the way you look at pizza. Say hello to Natasha. She's got everything. Beauty, brains, and a dad with a pub. Hollyoak starts Monday, 6.30 on Channel 4. Welcome back. We're joined tonight by Stuart Ware and Tanisha Geronimo, Emmerdale's Biff and Linda. We're going to take their relationship Hold it up to the light and take a little peek underneath and see if we can find any flaws in it. The main event will be on a Saturn game called Bug, but we're going to kick this off with a smart wee arcade gem called Cupid. We come back from the ad break for, as we were kind of teeing up in the first half of this, a celebrity challenge that is going to be split across two different halves, which I think is quite an interesting idea. I think it would be an interesting idea if the two halves somehow connected or had anything to 
do, I mean, they have something to do with each other in that they are testing compatibility. And as we also covered, these guys got married in the end for reals and had a kid. So maybe there's something to it. But also, I think it would have almost been better if they'd gone, right, before we go to the main challenge, we could have a bit of fun. We're just going to do a compatibility test rather than trying to do some sort of, well, if you don't score enough on this, you're not going to get to the main because it's bollocks of course they're going to get to the main challenge we've still got you know 10 minutes left on the clock yeah and that mortal Kombat feature at the end isn't that long i, I guess that it's uh, i don't know whether it was really set up as a case of well you've got to do this in order to do this it's more a case of if we it, how well you do on this will sort of inform how well you'll do in the second challenge because the second half of this challenge when they play bug on the sega saturn is one of them is blindfolded it's our, it's our second blindfolded test of this series i didn't expect that to happen in such a short shrift but one of them is blindfolded and the other one is giving directions so i guess the whole cupid compatibility gimmick is to be like or well, how compatible are you really how well will you perform as a duo when we get to the second half of the challenge yeah okay yeah yeah fine yeah fine if you're gonna <laughs> be that logical fine it's tenuous you know it's tenuous at best but i i sort of get what they were going for i don't think it fully i don't even because... think it's tenuous i think it's barely a five us <laughs> well the thing is here is like what we are playing on games master is a pub quiz machine this is it's it's a love tester sort of thing that you would just find knocking about in a pub now luke what do you think i found on google about this machine I can't imagine it will be a huge amount, unless, of course, there has been loads written up about this that I just I couldn't have predicted. No, I didn't even bother looking because I'm like, <laughs> there'll be all on these. These are this. This will be a love test machine one week, and it will be a like deal or no deal the next, and it will be a who wants to be a millionaire Clarkson edition the next. That's the kind Football of thing. quiz. Football, Football quiz. quiz, you stand around, you got your pints pouring up the top of it. Football. I don't understand it. But what gets me is how inconsistent Games Master is. Because the other week he was talking about going down his chippy, which apparently is big enough to have like a fucking golf simulator, but he doesn't often go to pubs. Uh, yeah, I mean, okay, I, I, let's dive into this. First off, what are we playing Games Master? I don't often go to pubs, but on the rare occasions that I do, I've been intrigued by the relationship tester, Cupid. Each partner takes it in turn to answer a series of intimate, multiple-choice questions. Cupid then compares the answers and tells the couple how compatible they are. Charming. That was almost there just to be because I could put the clip in because we've already talked about it and you've already talked about the first half of what he's talking about there. Yeah, he doesn't tend to go to pubs a lot. Which, knowing Patrick Moore, is clearly a separation between Patrick Moore and the Games Master because Patrick Moore, he, he likes a tipple. He could definitely be found down the pub. Unless, of course, he liked to drink at home. Like he wanted to sit there in his big leatherback wing chair with his surrounded by his books and all of his, you know, manly, I don't know, posh bullshit. Fine his mahogany. Exactly, yeah. And a globe that he would just sort of open up and he'd pour himself out a nice brandy and he would sit there and be like, I'm rich. You know, if we ever do get to do some sort of standing set, like for like YouTube streaming for under consultation, 
we need to find a way to justify and fit in a drinks cabinet globe. See, oh, I've just got it. If we get one super cheap, we can paint it to look like Patrick Moore on one side and Trevor McDonald the other. Ooh, very nice. Then it's fitting in. It's, it's, it's on theme and we can keep drinks in it. There we go. Problem sorted. But anyway, it's a simple thing. Multiple choice question. Each person takes it in turn. Whether you got the same answers or not, that dictates how you did. Yeah. So Tanisha is going to be up first doing these questions uh, while Stuart sits over the other side listening to some Kenny Rogers. But so what we're going to do is we're going to go through these questions and go through Tanisha's answers. But we're also going to give our answers as well and see how compatible we would have been going into the second half of this challenge to play Bug. Well, I mean, as we found out the other week, under Scottish common law, we are now boyfriend and girlfriend. Okay, so the first question, Tanisha, one night you have to babysit. What do you do with the kids? A, leave them alone and go to town with your friends, send them straight to bed and watch TV, or watch a Disney movie together and read them a bedtime story. What do you reckon? And she picks C because she's really into Disney. Now, Ash, what have you got as your answer for this question? I've got watch a Disney movie together and read them a bedtime story. Same here. Wholesome. wholesome, wholesome content. Love to see it. Uh, next question. One night you find a kitten meowing at your door. It do was you? It's you... <laughs> my famous kitten impression there. Do you kick him away and shut the door, bring him to the RSPCA, or fall in love with him immediately and bring him into the house? She picks C because she plays a vet on Emmerdale, which I like. Nice bit of character work there. Also, Dominic starts meowing, which is the most blatant flirt he has ever done. Like, it's almost more blatant than literally going like, hey, do you want to go out sometime, which he did the other week. Because, you know, you don't generally just meow for no apparent reason to a complete stranger. I do like how upfront Dom is just being now, which like in the interview we had earlier, he was just like, oh, by the way, I am flirting with you. It's like he's not even trying to hide it anymore. He learned from the Natalie and Brulia mistake. I'm getting nowhere with the angels. Uh, So I, for this one... Had down B, I would take him to the RSPCA. I did as well. Now, there is part of me that would be C because cats and dogs and, you know, I'd love a pet. But this kitten could be lost. Exactly. Could be chipped. Could be, you know, could be some. And there is always the option that if it doesn't have an owner claimed, you can adopt it later. So the sensible and responsible answer is B, take him to the RSPCA. Right, next question then. Are you faithful? Always, I try to be, but it's difficult. Oh, rightfully always, there are no <laughs> hesitation. Away. No hesitation. At all. We didn't even get to hear half of these options because, bang, Tanisha's there straight in with A. Same. Same here. Yeah. Okay, we're up to 75% already. We could get a clean 100% sweep here. We could do better than an actual <laughs> married couple did. With lastly, with what's your perfect Saturday night? Now, maybe this is where we will find a difference because the options are A, glass of wine and a packet of peanuts, B, an expensive meal followed by a trip to the theatre, or C, hit the town with your friends. Now, she picks option B. I have got A. So have I. A glass of wine and a packet of peanuts with a telly. And do you want to know my logic behind that? I don't have to go out and see other people. No, it's not even that. I love a nice meal and a theatre trip. It's a great thing. But everyone does it on a Saturday night. So the queues are longer, you get more stressed, you get more worked up. Much better to do that on a Sunday or maybe on a Thursday, maybe kind of mix it up, go for a midweek on a Wednesday, help you get over hump day. But Saturday night, 
I mean, you know I like my peanuts, Luke. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I bloody love peanuts. I, I would say, of the options, I wouldn't have paired wine and peanuts together. I would do peanuts more with beer. However, I am not going to... If someone puts in front of me a bowl of dry roasted peanuts, I am not going to turn them down, no matter what my tipple is. Oh, I'm going to have some salt and vinegar peanuts. Oh, nice. Very, very lovely. We got 100%. Our couple here get 75 because they get the same answers with the exception of our last one, because while Tanisha picks B, an expensive meal followed by a trip to the theatre... Stuart wants to hit the town with his lad mates. Lads, 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 lads. (laughs) I do like the fact that this tester gives them a bit more than just it's 75%, where it's like, you know, there's room for improvement. You could try out a candlelit dinner, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a bit like um, there's an episode of The Twilight Zone where uh, they have got one of those sort of fortune-telling machines. Reminds me a little bit of one of those. Oh, I love that episode. That is one of my absolute favourites, that fortune teller. The one where it's in the diner and they keep going back to it and back to it and back to it. It's one of my favourite Twilight Zone twist endings, which is just so beautifully, like, terrifying. I, I, I absolutely adore it. Go ahead. Can we ask some more questions now? Do you think we might leave Ridgeview today? Is there any way out? Any way at all? Counterbalance in the little town of Ridgeview, Ohio. Two people permanently enslaved by the tyranny of fear and superstition. Facing the future with a kind of helpless dread. Two others facing the future with confidence. Having escaped one of the darker places of the Twilight Zone. I love how at the end here, though, given what we now know, Tanisha finds all of this very funny, but she won't be dating him. Yeah, it's unlikely to change their current co-worker status. Well, give it a year, and then the co-worker thing won't be an issue anymore. So, we've had our first part of the challenge. What's the second half of this challenge? After successfully navigating Cupid, the relationship tester, this cute Saturn game couldn't be easier. I'll give them one minute to collect 14 blue pistols. Completing this task will show just how compatible our couple really are. Well, bugger me, we had a Sega Saturn review last week and now we've got a Sega Saturn challenge. Ah, bugger me, bug. Uh, (laughs) Very good. Yeah, yeah, very good. Pleased with that one. Um, So we've got 60 seconds to collect 14 blue crystals. Talk about a Series 2 setup, but with a Series 5 twist because... Stuart is going to be blindfolded while Tanisha will be giving him directions. And this game is an early platformer for the Saturn. It's an early 3D platformer in general, but it's a very restricted kind of 3D platformer. You're kind of limited to pathways and set routes rather than being more free roaming. But it was released in North America in 95, developed by Real Time Associates and published by Sega themselves for their own console. And then it came out It came out in Europe in September, uh, December for Japan. And then it was also ported over to Windows 3.1 and 95 by Beam Software. So this didn't stay a platform exclusive, not for long. 
and the game centres around Bug, who is a Hollywood actor who hopes to gain fame by defeating the villainous Queen Gadavra. Ah, Gadavra, yeah. Bug joke. So you did there. But the game was developed with the titular character being considered a possible mascot for the Saturn. Well, it sort of felt like that was the way. So, fun fact for uh, our listeners at home, this was the very first Sega Saturn game I ever played. I've mentioned a friend of mine I uh, had back when I was at school before who had a Sega Saturn because he had everything Sega. He had the Mega Drive, he had the Mega CD, he had the 32X, and then he got the Saturn. And I remember going over to his house when he got his Sega Saturn, and this was the game that we played because we were all into our platforms and stuff. And just being like really blown away by it's like, wow, this is really did feel like, you know, a big step in our gaming evolution. And because we then didn't have a Sonic title for ever on the Saturn, really, you know, platforming wise, Bug almost did feel like the unofficial mascot until Knights comes out. Bug almost felt like he was going to be the new mascot. I'd say Bug's biggest issue is he is so incredibly generic. Like we're talking Bubsy the Bobcat level of generic here. And it just didn't work. There was nothing to tie him into the console. Like Sonic became the mascot for the Mega Drive because the Mega Drive had that kind of woo slightly edgy fast mm, to be this good takes ages and then you had sonic who as a character admittedly at first was more cutesy but still had that kind of slight wise guy kind of vibe to him with the wagging of the fingers oh, yeah. and the tapping that, of the feet he had that 90s attitude about him so it fit and then you had the saturn a debug and actually i suppose in retrospect <laughs> not the worst uh, not the worst comparison but while it didn't capture the public imagination it did garner some positive reviews and got a sequel which was released the next year in 1996 called Bug 2 T O O exclamation mark I I quite enjoyed this challenge in a way because it is just Tanisha yelling instructions to Stuart. It's probably like, right, 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 right. Down, 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 down. Up, up, up. Jump, 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 jump. And when he has six seconds passed and he has got six jewels, I'm like, well, they're going to completely cakewalk this. And then they have 10 jewels after 30 seconds have passed. And I was like, okay, maybe this will be slightly harder then. The way this was played very much reminded me of watching like Magic Pockets or something being played on Saturday morning television where you phone in and it's like, right, 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 down, down, jump, fire, fire. And that kind of like phone in video game competition. But given what he says after the challenge, I think he was either downplaying how useful she was being because I actually thought she was doing pretty well or he just played that level enough he'd kind of memorised that he needed to do this, this and this. And literally the only thing he was using her for was the enemy detection. I get the impression that his comments at the end, which we'll get to shortly, were just him to be like, way, lads, the banter, she don't know directions, way, let's have a pint, packet of crisps. Dry roasted peanuts. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's that sort of thing. Because I, I think she's Holds, holds her own here she gives him all the instructions that he needs there's a point towards the end when he just finds this huge cluster of jewels and he nearly walks away from it until tanisha tells him to go back and get the extra ones that he needs to complete the challenge 
Yeah, I mean, they do great together until it gets to the point where I think the commands she's giving just need a little bit more finesse because the enemies are more cl like clustered closely together and therefore it's very easy to jump over one but actually then just land into another enemy, which does happen. And so not only is the time counting down, so is the health. There is a moment in this as well, which we have had so many times in Games Master in the past where you take a bunch of hits and then one of the commentators, in this case it's Dom, goes, oh, if he takes one more hit, that's it, the game is over. And then they take another hit and the health goes from one to zero, which is then their final hit. It's an easy mistake to make given how bloody inconsistent video games can be. That's all I'll say. I'm going to come out batting for Dom on this one because it's just kind of annoying. Stuart then, comments on Tanisha's directions. Um, no comment. When she told me to go left, I went right because she doesn't know like right from the left. Oh, thank you very much. I just won this game. Teamwork, pal. Uh, Tanisha, your comments then on Stuart's games playing. You know, every time I told him to go up, he went right, he went left, he took it all upon himself to do everything. So well, it was really me. I was going to ask you, actually, if this meant there was more chance of, uh, of you two getting closer in real life. But, but you, you don't seem to be agreeing on it much. And as we get into the post-match, you know, at the start of this, Tanisha was like, I'm only here because of him. Like... I date him on the TV program, and therefore that is why I'm here. But she seemed to be the one who had the most fun on this uh, on this little excursion. I'm not surprised she could see everything. Yeah, like she seems genuinely thrilled by all this. But yeah, Stuart is like, oh, women, I don't know rights from lefts, lads, 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 banter, banter, banter. Plus, it's worth pointing out that when we were in the first bit of this weird double challenge, like whilst Stuart was off listening to Kenny Rogers and kind of like getting slightly touched up, by the angels when they swapped around tanisha got equal amounts of touching up from the angels which you know bonus not something you get every day being touched up by an angel they're caring people yes very caring handsy people however they only get one joystick between them so who do you think if either of them took it home oh i reckon stuart that would have been my guess as lads, well lads 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 yeah yeah well i mean dom has said categorically on this show already girls cannot play video games so they probably would have just given it to Stuart because she'll only just i don't know get some dishwasher powder on it or something man i can't wait for that soundbite to be taken out of context luke because that never happens on the internet mortal Kombat opens tomorrow in a bizarre video game movie is very good shock this is mainly due to weird movie specialist and kill to blow from highlander christopher lambert now dom says here it's only good because of christopher lambert but that is because christopher lambert features in our next challenge um but there's it's way better than just because of Christopher Lambert. Well, let, 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 let's go back a second. Christopher Lambert features Bucky O'Hare <laughs> in our next challenge. Because we'll it. if he's doing this challenge, I'm the Pope's left bollock. That's all I'm saying. I, I mean, it was going to be the question I was going to pose to you because I also have thoughts. We'll get to that because technically this is a Mortal Kombat special, but it's actually more of a Christopher Lambert special. And his amazing range of accents, including his natural one, which still feels like it's partially stuck in shop demonstration mode. And I just love how clearly there was a lot of something floating around this visit because we start in the bathroom. Christopher Lambert, top smouldering French actor bloke and the star of Mortal Kombat 3. And I'm actually in his bathroom for no apparent reason whatsoever other than to have uh, a wee chat. Uh, Chris, then, tell me, was it, was it a bit of a laugh then to do Mortal Kombat 3? Yeah, it was great. It was great. A lot of uh, a lot of action, a lot of effects, special effects, digitals, computer graphics, and 
humongous sets. And I would say for the first time, a movie being adapted from a video game with a story. What was, uh, what was it that made you want to do the film in the, in the first place? Was it, was it the, the action side of it? Well, no, the, the, the thing is, I mean, the, the, the producer, Larry Kazanoff, bought the rights to Mortal Kombat to make a feature. What's, what's good about him is that the guy produced Terminator 2 and True Lies, so I knew that the movie was going to be of a high-quality standard, which was the most important for me. There was obviously two fantastic-looking women in the film, yeah. Bridget Wilson and Teresa yeah. Soto. Uh, did you fancy any of them? No, but they're gorgeous, like gorgeous robo-babes. Why wouldn't you want to start an interview in Christopher Lambert's bathroom? Well, I'm imagining his hotel suite bathroom with Dom sat in the bathtub and Christopher, we assume, either sat on the edge of the bathtub or maybe with one cheek on the bathtub, the other cheek on the edge of the toilet. Yeah, I like how they just put in a toilet flushing sound effect in this to make it sound like Lambert was having a shit and then just got up to do his interview. I wouldn't put it past him. Uh, I mentioned earlier I was going to read uh, a section from the Tome Lights Camera Game Over about the making of this. Uh, I've got two options for you. Uh, would you like to hear about how Paul W.S. Anderson became director or about Christopher Lambert? I thought that might sort of be more timely, I suppose, but about how he got into the film. I think we're going to revisit Mortal Kombat, like, else times. So let's go with Lambert. Let's keep it on topic. So uh, this is a direct quote from my book. Christopher Lambert, perhaps best known for the Highlander series, was a popular choice for the role of Raiden from Paul W.S. Anderson. Christopher didn't audition for the movie. Obviously, he was a big star, he admits. And I like him because I knew he was funny. He's seen as an action guy primarily because in English-speaking movies, he did action. But because I'd seen movies he'd done in France like Subway, I knew he had a great sense of humour. And that was something we desperately needed, which wasn't in Kevin Droney's draft, so I knew the actors would need to bring something to the roles. This was also a key aspect for the character in Larry Kasanoff's mind. Raiden is my favourite character, he admits, because I always see Raiden as the protector of the Earth and god of us and god of that, all powerful and all that, and he's a blast. He's protector of the realm because he likes it. It's fun. He likes beer and hot dogs and girls on the beach and puppies. He's a great guy. Anderson also felt that it would be interesting to turn the Highlander dynamic on his head and allow Lambert to be the mentor rather than the student. Can we rewind a little bit? There's many thoughts I have about Raiden, God of Thunder, be it from Mortal Kombat 1 through 10, or indeed in the movies as portrayed by Christopher Lambert, or more recently in the Mortal Kombat reboot by someone whose name temporarily escapes me. Do you know what I've never thought about Raiden? Mm -hmm. There's a guy who likes beer and hot dogs. It was weird hearing Larry Kasnoff wax lyrical about that because he was really, really passionate about, like, yeah, Raiden as a character. Because, like, you know, we talked about this before, but Kasnoff was quite instrumental in fleshing out these characters. And that is how he saw Raiden. It was just, he was a guy. He was just a party guy. He wanted to protect Earth because he was a fan of Earth. Is he, in his mind, confusing Raiden and Bruce Springsteen? I don't really know because it's. I, I've never really got that much of an impression of Raiden, particularly in the movie. Like, I know he has funny lines, but I think that comes from Anderson more than anything else. And also Lambert's willingness to deliver. I mean, it's worth saying that he is probably the best actor in Mortal Kombat, the Paul W.S. Anderson version. And he's the one that I think is, he knows that what he's in is fairly cheesy. So he does ham and exit up a bit, but he, he has a lot of fun with it. It's a good time. 
and the delivery is just on point. Actually, that's one thing I want to say. Everyone in that in this Mortal Kombat movie is just on point. They know what they're doing and they give it an appropriate amount of po-face seriousness. There was a moment there when Anderson was talking about how they needed humour in the script. That was the one thing he really wanted to change from Kevin Droney's draft, because Droney's draft was very dry, was just like, this is Mortal Kombat and here it is, which is what Kasanoff wanted. But Paul W. Sanderson wanted to bring much more levity to it because it was Mortal Kombat. It's a video game movie. So they had the actors improvise lines on sets and this and the other, you know, like uh, Lyndon Ashby, who plays Johnny Cage, talks about how the those were $500 sunglasses, asshole. Like that's all stuff that they did on set. And when I spoke with Ashby, he told me this. This is also from the book. I remember being at the Christmas party at Larry Kasnoff's house, and I ran into Kevin Droney, Ashby remembers, and he introduced me to either his wife or his girlfriend and said, that's the guy who fucking ruined my script. Oh, that's awkward. <laughs> Isn't it just? Yeah, Kevin Droney, not available for an interview. Oh, uh, Raiden in the 2021 Mortal Kombat was uh, Tadanobu Asano. There we go. There we go. I'm actually just curious... Have you seen the 2021 Mortal Kombat movie yet? I actually haven't seen it yet. Ah, I will be very curious to to hear your your take on it. I liked it. I actually thought it was really good. I thought tonally it was much more in keeping with where Mortal Kombat is now. I'm more likely to watch the 95 one for a good time, but I'm more likely to watch the 2021 one for something that really kind of like, you know, goes balls deep into Mortal Kombat lore. That's was sort of my impression I got from it as well. Like, I knew there were some people who really, really didn't like it. Uh, but I think some Mortal Kombat fans really did quite love it because it was very Mortal Kombat focused and Mortal Kombat heavy. I'm very curious to see it. I will try and watch it at some point. Maybe I'll try and watch it before Mortal Kombat leaves our uh, number one position at the top of the box office. Cool. But until then, let's get into our final challenge. What are we doing here, Dominic? So we've moved to Chris's living room and he's about to play Mortal Kombat 3. He's going to be playing as Shang Tsung, the uh, bad guy, his opposite number in the film. So best of luck, Chris. You start your challenge. Thank you. So I think you have put your cards down on the table here. You don't think that this is actually Christopher Lambert playing this. I mean, they're, A, they're certainly not in his house. That is 100% a hotel room. But you don't think that it's actually him playing the game. I do not, because he is acting playing a video game. <laughs> this is the same acting you get whenever someone who has never picked up a joypad in their life, perhaps beyond the Atari, is asked to play a modern video game. Because it's like, oh, I've got the controller all over the place. It's like watching a Sega advert where, you know, they're giving kids direction of like, yeah, wave the controller around. It helps. Doesn't help. And it's also, I think, the fact that they go, okay, we're going to show Christopher Lambert doing a Mortal Kombat challenge, but we won't, we're just going to skip to the final round. You don't want to see that. If they genuinely had Lambert playing this game, you would want all of the rounds. You would want the entire thing in there. Whereas if you're asking him to pretend to play Mortal Kombat, you're maybe going to get 30 to 45 seconds out of him tops. Also, why isn't he playing as Raiden? Eh? It's like, it's so weird. It's like, yeah, Dom just very casually says, oh, he's going to be playing as Shang Tsung here. And I'm like, what? surely you want him playing as his character in the movie. Maybe he wouldn't want to because technically 
you know, he's not Raiden in the game. It's someone else. Well, my theory was they didn't actually have any footage of anyone playing as Raiden. So they were just like, no, well, we've got footage of, of someone playing Shang Tsung, so we're just going to use that instead. That's also entirely valid. There was a moment during, we didn't actually talk about what Lambert was talking about, where he does name drop Larry Kasanoff. He says, he describes Bridget Wilson and Talisa Soto as robo-babes. And the only other time I have heard that term is in Wayne's World. She's a babe. She's a robo-babe. In Latin, she would be called Babia Majora. If she were a president, she'd be Abraham Lincoln. And it was at that point I was like, he actually does look a little bit like Dana Carvey in these final moments here. Are, are we sure that this is actually Christopher Lambert and not just Dana Carvey playing Christopher Lambert? I mean, have you seen Dana Carvey in Master of Disguise? Who hasn't seen that turtle? then you know for a fact he probably cannot do a passable Christopher Lambert impression. <laughs> but yeah, this is just a one-round fight. Uh, it's all Lambert, and then he does the fatality and he wins. I did just have a thought, completely unrelated to this. Isn't it a shame why, that we didn't get a Wayne's World 3 where Christopher Lambert plays Garth's dad? <laughs> How amazing would that be? That would have been excellent. But yeah, it's the, um, the soul spike death boy type fatality and this is the point where it really telegraphs that it's not christopher playing is he's still button mashing during the fatality sequence and dom says i'm gonna shake your garlic hand (laughs) (laughs) i think he meant gallic but sure (laughs) okay that's more than enough prime television entertainment for one evening we have to go but remember life is a lot like a passionate phone call to your loved one it's good to talk but nothing beats a great cooked breakfast. Bye-bye. Oh, I do love a full-cooked breakfast, me. Well, that's for the morning after the glass of wine and the peanuts, if you play your cards right, Luke. Oh, I, and I cook a mean one as well, actually. Maybe it's you the one be playing your cards right. Do you know what? People are probably writing slash fiction already. Anyway, <laughs> let's wrap this up. So, yeah. Um, what did you make of this episode? I really, really liked it. It was weird. Like, like not, not kind of gore special weird and not like baby rom weird, but it was kind of, yeah, it was weird. I enjoyed the first challenge, although it was quite a throwback to kind of series one through three and yeah. four. The reviews were cool. It was great to see WrestleMania have a good chat about that. Uh, also fun to see another outing for the Sega Mega Drive one more time with Vector Man. Talk a little bit about that. We got some positive Saturn press by someone playing a game blindfolded. And, you know, whilst the uh, Tanisha's circumstance behind leaving Emmerdale were very harrowing to talk about, put this way, I will never say that it was a boring thing to talk about. It's probably some of the most interesting stuff that we've been able to talk about recently for a celebrity because, hey, it was an actual story. And then we end with this purely bit of fluff piece which involved Dominic in a bathrobe and Christopher sat on the toilet and then some terrible fake video game acting but I had a great time with it I yeah I thought this was a a perfectly fine episode I enjoyed its nostalgic throwback with the two kids playing Destruction Derby um the second half of it is sort of where I fall off the episode a little bit uh I'm sure it was fun for the people that were there to do the Cupid thing and then the bug challenge. The bug challenge actually I enjoyed way more than the Cupid stuff, but the Cupid stuff also takes up way more time than the bug stuff does. And I enjoyed 
them interviewing Christopher Lambert. I actually quite like the sort of the fluff piece action we get at the end. And I don't mind that it's not really Christopher Lambert playing the game. I think it's actually delightful in a way. It's still real to me, damn it. But overall, like this was an episode, it was not as strong as previous couple of episodes that we've had on this show. Uh, we have got better to come yet. And there always are episodes like this in Games Master, which is almost, it almost feels like the offcuts of other episodes and yeah like it, it wasn't bad but it wasn't great either i think the only problem is is well yes there have always been episodes that have been off cuts or low week otherwise every single episode would be in the 90 percent. but they can't they can't all be zingers no but it just feels weird to get it this early yeah if this was like episode nine i wouldn't have been as surprised but yeah i don't know i i liked it but yeah it was bitty yeah, and I, percentage-wise, then I'm early 80s for this. I had 81 written down. That was sort of my first uh, instinct reaction to it. Oh, I'd love to say I got the same because then it would just continue to prove how compatible we were. But no, I had 85. I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a good episode, but it certainly was not as good as we've had in Series 5 thus far. But that is going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule each and every single one of you. You can find us on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console, and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to provide some feedback in real time, you want to talk with us, talk with other listeners, talk with other fans of gaming, modern and retro and pop culture in general, you can join us over on our Discord. Details of that are in the show notes, along with a link to patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where at the £5 level, you will get next week's episode one week early and ad-free and access to UCP Extra, which is this show format, but about other TV shows from the 80s and 90s and our monthly community podcast under console nation. And at the £10 level, you get a little bit extra. Ash, what do you get? At the £10 level, you get our new golden glittering under consultation mug which will be filled with retro sweeties some retro trading cards some badges some stickers it's a good old proper fan club type pack and a shout out to our 10 pound backers xanderthal william tom simon sean retro fun for everyone reese paul nick misha matty boo mark link kevin jamie it's mashley harriet manga girl gordon dempster gordon brantz david palmer david fisher dark side 73 cliff foster chrissy two sticks Andrew Cummings and Adam D. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you in seven days' time. Take care, everyone. Good night. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.